welcome to episode 71 of Friends of Film, a podcast that's based on news and theatrical releases. On this episode, we'll cover the Blade Runner trailer, a Hellboy reboot, New Mutants casting, and more after we review King Arthur Legend the Sword. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes at Friends of Film. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by man officially on summer break, Josh Straley. And it's good to be on summer break, yeah. too. Um, I'm stoked. We have probably one of my favorite trailers outside of Last of the Jedi to talk about soon. Yeah. And I can't wait to get to that. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, we all know what you're referring to if you've been keeping track of kind of the news that's come out this week for uh, movies and stuff. But before we get to the news, uh, as you know, we've recently changed our format. And if you don't know, we, we did. We used to do all of our news first and then our reviews. Uh, but we thought, you know, why not give you guys the review up top? And then if you guys want to stick around for the news, you guys can do that as well. So this week, as I said, we're going to be reviewing uh, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, led by Charlie Hunnam from the mind of Guy Ritchie, who's going to be doing Aladdin next for Disney. Uh, so before we get uh, into the news, we're going to do the review. If you want to skip ahead to the news, uh, there will be a timestamp indicating when we get to the news uh, and all the trailers and all the other uh, stuff we previewed at the top. But uh, we also may get into spoilers on King Arthur. Unsure. If we do, there will be a separate timestamp saying when we get into spoilers. If you haven't seen it, you can skip through that spoiler section uh, and get straight to the news. Yeah, he pulls the sword from the stone. So yeah, spoiler just alert. Just toss that out there right away. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's your week to start off first, Josh. What do you think of yeah. Guy Ritchie's latest? Um, So Guy Ritchie, who did Sherlock Holmes. Uh, are you familiar with Revolver, Cooper? Revolver? Yeah, Jason Statham. No. Okay, yeah, he did that. And it's just like that. It's fast, fun, and fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, but for it to be... True, to be truly honest, it's almost too fast. And because it's telling the legend of King Arthur, it's too full of characters and plot that not even Guy Ritchie's unique way of telling the story can save it. He comes close. Okay. He comes close. But um, still good. Uh, you know, first of all, Charlie Hunnam, who um, I think is just breaking out. Uh, first of all, didn't think he was that good in Pacific Rim. I've never seen him in Sons of Anarchy, but he just fin- came off of, um, oh gosh, what was the other movie this year? This year? Yeah. Uh, I have no idea. I can't think of another movie he's been on this year. All right. At least well, anyway. one that we we've not reviewed another Charlie Hunnam film. As far as I recall. But anyway, he was so good in this. Um, the King Arthur that he portrayed is like he's young. He's level-headed, but also a little bit arrogant, but at the same time charismatic. And it reminded me of Robert Downey Jr., you know, just with a British accent, uh, which, I mean, is Sherlock Holmes. But, of, but of course, yeah. this is this is an this is original one, so it's fantastic. Um, but the whole movie structure is something to... That really kind of bothered me. Okay. Well, I Guy Ritchie has this thing that I'm going to try to coin a term here. Tell me if you think you like this or not. But okay. I'm calling it oceaning, and it's when you tell you 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 begin to tell your plan or part of the story to a friend or somebody in present time, mm-hmm. but then it it takes place in future events in the next scenes. Yeah. And then by the time you're finished telling the plan in present tense, the plan had just ended in the future. You think that fits? Or what do you think about that? You know what we're, I'm referring we're, to? Yeah, I mean, are you are you taking that from the Ocean's franchise? Yeah. Okay. Because that's like a staple of what they do. They plan and then it kind yeah, of yeah, plays yeah. out on screen. 
that's that's not bad. That's okay, not bad. fair enough. But but those were awesome montage sequences. Um, I loved them. They were fun. They were a great vehicle for uh, a comedy and uh, you know skipping over parts that otherwise would have been pretty dull and boring uh, for the most part. But twice they're like really important you know, scenes to go through. Uh, Arthur's going into the Darklands. Like, why is he going in there? They really don't say, but it's just this montage of him getting beaten up by animals, like, left and right, and it's fun, but at the end of the day, like, why was that important? No one told me. Um, And then the same thing goes for their plan to recruit soldiers to fight uh, the King Jude Law, and then it's like, wait a minute, they were trying to make a deal here. They never ended up making a deal. Then it never came back up again. So uh, the pace of the movie almost, you know, left behind some important things. And mm. that, w- that was a real problem. But th- the saving grace of the entire movie, though, is definitely the Jude Law and King Arthur, or Charlie Hunnam's, you know, chemistry as hero and villain. The evil eye that Jude Law knows how to give is unbelievably good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the thing I love the most was the action. Like the, the, the use of Excalibur and when it's being wielded properly and the battle sequences with that uh, are unbelievable. But all of that like pales into comparison to the Londominium scene, yes. the assassination attempt, the, the, the back and forth, the running through the streets, the dodging of like the Imperial guards and whatnot it was so cool. And I, the, the, for first I was bothered by the shots of like the, like the GoPro like view of people's uh-huh. heads, but in the movie it plays really well. And I kept thinking, like you said earlier, he's doing Aladdin next. And that's kind of what I imagine, you know, <laughs> Aladdin doing chasing through the streets mm-hmm. and things like that. So I think that's going to work really, really well. Uh, all of that said, though, the the rest of the cast I had a problem with. Because this is Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. But the Knights of the Round Table are, like, basically straw men uh, most of the movie. Uh, Aidan Gillian, um, better known as Littlefinger from mm-hmm. the Game of Thrones series, he's there. And he's got this important backstory that relates to Arthur's dad, not mentioned once once they meet up. And I'm like okay then what was the point of showing him earlier and what uh then um there was uh digimon hansu Hansu, yes who was a great supporting actor but at the same time he didn't get much screen time he was used a ton in the montages which where he was great but outside of that you don't really see him anywhere so that was disappointing as well um and then i don't know what the deal was with uh, astrid frisbee's character the mage what are the mages First of all, other than like some other race of human beings that they, you know, allude to earlier, mm-hmm. but then she's just doing mysticism and magic throughout most of the movie. None of it's explained. And they and like the basilisk at the end, the big serpent snake. It's just like, yeah, what? Where's that coming from? The, the pace of the movie doesn't stop for you to make sense of what's happening. And that really bothered me. Uh, so all of that said, I can only give it two and a half ticket stubs even though there are a lot of things i like but it just just doesn't get there for me to be an actual great movie that's fair that's fair what do you think uh i mean 
from the beginning of the marketing, I wasn't really sold on this movie, but then as it kind of progressed, the last trailer or two trailers maybe, I was like, you know, this could actually maybe be a fun, under-the-radar type movie, perfect for the summer season right after Guardians 2, uh, right before we get into like Alien Covenant, Wonder Woman, and a whole bunch of other uh, blockbusters. And we had Guy Ritchie directing, he brought his his very distinct style there's some quippy dialogue like you mentioned with the oceaning scene uh it's it's just it's back and forth jabs it's it's little quips it's funny yeah uh it really gave i think charlie hunnam a chance to kind of show off his charisma which i don't think he uh, has really i've never seen him have that shot to do before have you seen him in sons of anarchy no okay, I so i don't know so, what he's like there but just from what i know or have seen of that show uh, it doesn't really seem like a, a funny uh, show. Yeah, it seems more very, very serious and yeah, intense. So uh, I liked I liked Charlie Hunnam a lot as the lead. I thought he was really good. Uh, the action sequences, like you mentioned, super kinetic. The way they used Excalibur and it's kind of it's powered uh, sequences. I think it's going to be the best use of Excalibur this year, unless oh, Optimus Prime does right. something really awesome in <laughs> Transformers last night. But uh, yeah, like you said, the rest of the cast, I thought Jude Law was fine as the villain. Uh, Just fine? I mean, he's he's over the top. He, I didn't, like, love him. I, I don't think he really – he was just he was just kind of there. I wasn't like he, – he was not as, like, charismatic or as just kind of – he didn't draw me as much as he does in the Sherlock series or anything else to really see from him. Instead, he's just kind of, I want power because I want power. Yeah. And – the rationale behind him is never like you said it's it, the movie just keeps moving forward all the time where they don't really explain uh the motivations behind him making his turn like it almost looks like at the beginning of the movie he almost looks like he gets like possessed by the former enemy uh that eric bana like battles at the very beginning which was probably the the second best action sequence outside of the assassination one yeah um but then like they just gloss over everything else and then he's just an evil guy because he wants to be evil and i was like there's no reason for me to care or connect whether or not you're killing all these innocent people or not in the, the part with his wives and his, his wife and his daughter too yeah. that was just kind of like trying to make you feel so like i, I don't know what it what that was and it yeah yeah it didn't it didn't do anything for me um and while i i agree that the movie kind of keeps moving forward all the time um it does also do that where it feels super slow. Uh, I felt like this movie was like three hours long and it's actually like two. Uh, and I think it really should have been trimmed down to like an hour 30, hour 45. Just mm. make it a really packed, uh, keep it moving forward, keep all the fun portions of the movie in. And you can cut out all these like moments of people just like sitting around and talking and saying, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Let's let's try this. Let's try this. Like, just just get to it. Don't tell me all these, like, here's how we're going to do the plan. Let's just do the plan. Um, just get right through it. And it's King Arthur and the, let the sword and the stone, Excalibur, if you want to call this story. A lot of people know how this story goes, how it ends with King Arthur, the Knights of the Round Table. So the whole movie, uh, it's nothing surprises me because I, I know what's going to happen. I didn't really feel like they did anything new uh, to surprise me in any way. And by the end of the movie, I was like, okay, yes. Yeah. It's the Knights of the round table, whatever. I get it. Cool. Fine. Did you find it funny at all? They were playing coy with what the table was. 
Yeah, I was like, this is dumb. Like, I know, like, everybody knows what this is. Just maybe, get just get to it. Maybe it's a dance floor. Yeah, I was like, this is what? Like, the like the 1200s or something? Like, I don't, like, you don't dance. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys, I don't know. You guys seem like you have much uh, more energetic times back then than what I envisioned it actually being like. Um, yeah. And it the thing, I, the one plot point I had a big problem with was the whole movie like you start off and you're with Eric Bana, who is Arthur's dad. And then it's all about him finding the sword, getting like, and then the sword gives him like a vision of the night that his parents died and he was sent away. And it's all about him holding on to the sword long enough and keeping his eyes open to see what actually happens. And it's very telegraphed that, and everybody knows like, it's clearly going to be Jude law. He's the one that kills his parents. And like, it takes him like basically the entire movie to figure that out when it's so blatantly obvious it just drove me kind of insane because uh, they keep just showing this like guy with the skull mask turn around right after mm-hmm. his parents die you're like clearly that's Eric Bana or not Eric Bana that's clear that's Jude Law because he like went down he killed his he killed his wife like he's clearly evil how is like nobody else doing like how is nobody else seeing this uh, they even mentioned that the other sorcerer that like rose to power really quickly and was really evil he built the exact same uh, uh, building tower. Yeah, yeah, this exact same tower. I was like, how is how is this community that defeated the guy with the big evil tower <laughs> not understanding that their leader is also building a big evil tower? Uh, doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> yeah, well, they allude, they allude to it that like the people are being ruled by their true ruler, and they know that because the like of the prophecy. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, but it's just like it's just it's just dumb, and then. Uh, after we have, you know, like one or two really cool action moments with the Excalibur sword and Charlie Hunnam, the lead up to the final battle uh, between Jude Law and Charlie Hunnam mm-hmm. is feels like a CGI. I mean, it is a CGI fest because you never see Charlie Hunnam's face. It's just these really quick camera movements and uh, it just shows the Excalibur sword really just killing all these just faceless uh, people. And then we get to the final battle and it just feels like a video game cutscene against the final boss where, all right, now I press X, now I press B, now I press triangle and like, that's a really good and, uh, and now we're done. Like I was like, this, this isn't exciting in really any way at all. So it really took a, a lot out of the movie. Uh, I was just kind of waiting for it to be over after a certain point. Uh, so I'm gonna give it two ticket stubs out of five. Oh, really? Were you bordering on putting it higher or were you like squeaking by to two? It was probably squeaking by to two, honestly. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I know like it's, it's a, it's a, vis- I think the thing that gets it by is visually, it's impressive. Um, they pull off that, that look of pulling off that olden day stuff. Uh, and the action, I like Charlie Hunnam a lot as the lead. So that stuff is what carried it to the two. But everything else just really just tries to push it down. And I was like, this isn't that much worse than uh, Fate of the Furious, so I can't. Really? So I can't give it a significant drop off from that in comparison. Even though that's not like a, it's never good to really compare sure. two movies that are so opposite. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's where my mind was at when I was kind of well rating it. Stacking this up to the last fantasy movie that we saw, World of Warcraft. I mean, that's the same rating, same ballpark, same everything. Yeah, I mean, it, I think World of Warcraft has better has more memorable characters has a better builds a world better. And I think, 
I think both of them, like ironically enough, do a good job of building out this world where I'd be like, I want to see the sequel, not so much this first movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is why I thought this movie should have been condensed or you give me the third act where he is the king and then he is like, I felt like he, Guy Ritchie was going for a Game of Thrones, Lord of Lord of the Rings-esque like almost like the B version. Yeah. But he just, he just like rushed his way through it to get to King Arthur by the end of the movie. So it didn't really work for me. Um, but I did, I was thinking after, after once I hit the point where I was just kind of waiting for it to be over, um, there's been all like this, like all the fan casts uh, for if WB ever does green arrow, a lot of people want Charlie Hunnam. And I was like, I'd be, I'd be down for a Charlie Hunnam-led Green Arrow movie directed by Guy Ritchie. Yeah, he looks like the, the goatee that Charlie Plus, Hunnam grows is like quintessential uh, Arrow. Yeah, and it's like uh, kind of uncanny, like the similarities in the story of King Arthur and Green Arrow, where like in this movie, he is a man born into a wealth or a, you know, a prominent family. Then after his parents die or one of them... <laughs> He goes to a place where he has to he has to learn to fend for himself and be this be this kind of ruler, this commander type guy. And he comes back to his city and mm. tries and like starts a revolution almost. Sure. <laughs> and I was like, this is kind of similar to Green Arrow, but that's beside the point. But I'd I'd be down for that if WB announced it. So, uh, do you have any other thoughts on uh, King I, Arthur? I do. I have some questions for you that okay. I didn't ask you the other day. And I want first of all, what the heck was that octopus thing that Jude Law was? That was weird. You man. know, uh, owing his secret powers to. Yeah, that was uh, it definitely bordered on the PG thirteen line. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, after like the mama octopus's daughters like came out, like started flowing around. I was like, Yeah, you were just a couple strands of hair is all that's keeping this thing <laughs> from uh, <laughs> being an R rated movie. Yeah, the, that was so weird. And then. As you mentioned the scene as um, Hunnam Arthur is going to fight Jude Law for the final time. Yes. King Charlie, is that it? I don't remember. I don't remember the king. It's forgettable. Um, what is the deal with him walking through the forest? Like, the mage gives him some kind of, like, snake bite potion. Uh-huh. And then it's like he's on a shroom trip. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's like, oh, this will make you see things. Okay. Was, yeah, I didn't understand the significance of that at all. No, that's what I'm saying. There's a lot of like those sequences where it's like this is doing nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just, yeah, just cut it out. Absolutely. So, uh, those are our thoughts on King Arthur. So yeah, it was uh, a, he was a yeah, it was a fairly average movie made by a great director. It's, I, I don't know how that works. Yeah, I mean it. Yeah, it has a good director, it has a good lead, but everything else kind of crumbles around it. So it makes me less excited for Guy Ritchie doing Aladdin. Um, but then again, it's Disney, and it's their live action department, and they've been knocking out of the park recently. So I have faith that he'll be able to turn around, especially well, since they're doing a musical. It'll be a lot. It'll be a totally different film. Right. He, think of him as the guy putting it together. You know, with some of the yeah. with the pace and the fun. Yeah, I mean the street rat elements of King Arthur, I think will be very will be able to be applied very well to Aladdin. Yeah, so same here. Uh, that's one good thing to come out of King Arthur, I guess. So let's move on to some trailers. We got our first official trailer for Blade Runner twenty forty nine. What'd you think? Uh, absolutely stoked. Denny Villeneuve has 
uh, he's been ever since Arrival. He's kind of like sprung to the forefront of my mind as you know top directors. Even though I was familiar with his work before, uh, it just kind of like hit me that oh, this guy is somewhere in the range of Christopher Nolan to Steven Spielberg, you know, for me. Uh, and he crushed it with this. Uh, uh, first of all, it's just beautiful. I mean, the tones, the cyberpunk techno, you know, horror mentality of everything is amazing. Atari has this massive corporate structure, you know? I, I love that alternate reality, especially because it kind of plays off of, you know, mm. what things were in the 80s, you know, initially. Uh, absolutely fantastic. The Johan Johansson score, who did Arrival as well, uh, super good here. And um, it looks as gripping and um, intense as I remember the first one being the first time I watched it for, you know, as a throwback of a movie as it was. Uh, how'd you feel about it? What were you thinking? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I echo a lot of your thoughts there. Uh, looks gorgeous. Roger Deakins is the cinematographer on the film pairing up with, uh, Denny. And like you said, Denny is quickly rising at the ranks of my favorite directors, especially mm-hmm. working right now. Um, he is, he's probably right near the top. If not, maybe at the top, you know, I don't I mean this movie will depend a lot because, I've seen Blade Runner. I don't love Blade Runner. Okay. But I'm very interested to revisit it going into this movie. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Ryan Gosling coming off of La La Land, he can really do no wrong. And the, just the look at the cast around him, you have Harrison Ford coming back as uh, Deckard. You have mm-hmm. Ande Armas coming in. She looks like she is a replicant as well. And she has, like, a big hologram. So I like the way that they kind of – they pulled a lot of similarities from the first movie, but also they made it look way better uh, for 2049. Uh, and I was impressed with her in uh, War Dogs and in Bleed for this. Um, she's good in both of those. Plus, we got a quick glimpse of Robin Wright. Don't really see much of her. But she's but giving us a great, great monologue. Great monologue. Uh, yes. Dave Batista is shown very briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also get to see Mackenzie Davis very briefly as well. Yeah, she looks like she's some kind of, I don't know, she looks like she's going to assassinate somebody. It's yeah. very intense. Like, and uh, the trailer opens with Jared Leto, which I was not expecting. It almost looks like he's the villain of the movie. I mean, I, you know, I thought that too, but it looks like he's the one running the replicant factory. Yeah, but I could see, depending on what the deal is with both, you know, especially with Harrison Ford, but also maybe with mm-hmm. Gosling's character, if either or both of them are replicants uh, and he's trying to maybe get them back, it almost seems like he's making like a new form of replicants. So if he's trying to track down all the old ones or something and just kill them off, I think that opening scene is way too creepy and villainy to not be a a good person you know what i'm saying yeah but gosling's there in the beginning so it makes me wonder but he's not there for the birthing sequence no he's not there for that but he's definitely being toured across that facility but i think that's i think the birthing sequence is like post gosling's visit like i wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if gosling visits that place to see if anything uh is going on sure he leaves letter goes back to the back room births out a replicate and it's like happy birthday 
Yeah. Uh, just it's it's weird because he's he's super creepy in it, um, and he's just like the total opposite of what he was in Suicide Squad. Almost where this one it looks like he is going to work really well. I think in the role, uh, whereas Suicide Squad he is very polarizing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's he's a steady kind of mastermind evil yes. this time around, and I think that I think that works better on him a lot more. Yeah, but I mean, definitely the selling point for me was just the look of the movie, uh, the color palette. Like, I like the score as well. Uh, I really love the Sicario score, just because it's just it just hits you. It's super loud. Uh, it just works real well with that movie. So, I think it's gonna. He'll. I think all the pieces are going together for this one. Uh, once we get to a fall preview episode, you'll probably see this near the top of the lists oh, here on the yeah, pod. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, Johan, I, I can't, Johan Johansson is going to be the new Hans Zimmer. I, I think it's almost fair to say, but he's only going to be dealing in genre films, which is crazy. I think. You but, don't think he'll ever get into franchises? Oh, eventually. Yeah, definitely. If the right guy comes along and says, Hey, get this in. Yeah. He, he's in the franchise now. Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, I guess. Is I'm be, yeah, but like we don't really know if that's going to be a continuing franchise. Sure, I'm thinking like he's not going to hop on like Star Wars or a superhero movie in my mind. That'd be cool if he did, but I don't really envision that being his career trajectory. At this the, point, the, the hipster part of me wants him to stay in like indie <laughs> right. films, even yeah. though Sicario and Arrival are, are far from that. Mm-hmm. But you know, same here. But and then I just want to add again, Robin Wright looks like she's going to be around for a while, and her you know, preaching about the wall between, uh, you know, if replicants realize, oh, they're humans or they're, mm-hmm. you're human-like or they're the same as, oh, that's, that's such a great setup to the entire universe that uh, I can't wait to see play out. Yeah, and like the trailer ends, it's, it almost seems like it wants you to think that Ryan Gosling is a replicant. Uh, or some on, kind of special hybrid. Or, or, so, yeah, or yeah, something else. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what plays out there. Uh, you mentioned that Johansson could be the next Hans Zimmer. So I have a question for you. Oh, sure. If you had to, because you know John Williams is uh, pretty much the top when you're thinking of a composer mm-hmm. in film. If you had to choose one of th- one of these three to be the next quote unquote John Williams in terms of like the modern day cinema, would it be Hans Zimmer, Johan Johansson, or Michael Giacchino? Oh. <sighs> You know, I'm not familiar with Giacchino's work as much. He did uh, Star Trek Beyond, Doctor Strange, Rogue One, yep. uh, Incredibles. Um, he's doing Spider-Man Homecoming. I mean, if you look at his IMDb, it is... I think he's he's done like four Pixar movies. It's, he's he's always working. I would... St- that is so tough because... I would probably say Zimmer right now just because he is so so versatile in what he works on and does um i'm i'm just not there yet with johansson Mm -hmm. he's just sort of like a hit director or you know you know like he's had hit single after hit single yeah i don't have his body of work yet yeah yeah, yeah. but that's where i'd be yeah i think you take i think i think i'd probably go with johansson um even though i mean zimmer he's definitely has like the more he has the the higher profile movies at this point um with the more memorable scores giacchino's all kind of sound the same in some aspects. Mm-hmm. Well, like his Star Trek Beyond score and Doctor Strange sound almost identical, like the main themes. So if he, I want to see him branch out and do something bigger and better and put his own stamp on things because John Williams has that same, you can, you can, you know, when something is a John Williams score just by the way it sounds. Oh, yeah. Um, 
I want to see how Giacchino can apply that to other things. Because he's also, I think he also, like, he basically is taking over all, all John Williams' like projects he doesn't want to do. Like, <laughs> I think Giacchino is scoring Jurassic Park or Jurassic World. He did score Jurassic World. I think he's doing two as well. Um, so, uh, who knows? That'll be uh, something to look out for, I guess. But, I mean, there's plenty of other composers out there. It's not just oh, those three. Right, so. but they're definitely the top, yeah. of the top of the list right now. Yes. Uh, but moving on to another trailer we got this week. We got our final trailer for Wonder Woman. I think it's our fourth overall. Maybe not including the teaser. Yeah. Uh, what would you think of this one? It, fantastic. It, it, I want to say this. The girl, little girl playing young Princess Diana, mm-hmm. uh, that opening scene with her and Robin Wright. It's, it could just be I have a huge crush on Robin Wright, but uh, that is super powerful. Like, is that Robin Wright? That's Robin Wright, yeah. With long hair, it just kind of throws you off a bit. Because that's, uh, that's, uh, that's Hippolyta, right? That's, like that, that's her. That's her mom. That's not... Um, I don't remember who it is. Keep talking. I'll, fi- I'll I'm figure definitely, it out. I'm almost 100% sure okay. that's Robin Wright in the opening. And I'm just like, this movie has like a gravitas to it that, you know, or at least this trailer did. And I've never been so pumped to see it. And then it's followed by these shots of uh, Diana, you know, taking steps into the, uh, into the trench warfare. And it's, it's the first time we've had a, like, you know, an elongated look at it. And every time those bullets fly by and then to, to the point where she's got the shield out and then just deflecting them left and right, mm-hmm. uh, I, that, that's shaping up to be one of the coolest scenes. Um, I mean, except for, you know, maybe that final shot of her, you know, just taking down that entire group of like Nazi officials. Uh, so, or well, I guess they're not Nazis at that point, German, German, yeah, yeah, German yeah. soldiers. But this one really worked for me. The other two were good. This one was just absolutely great. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking about it? It was Connie. Connie Nielsen That's plays Connie her mom. Nielsen. Yeah, Robin Wright is shown in the the training sequence where Diana does like the the gauntlet smash for the first time. She's the one attacking, like yelling at her. Um, I don't remember what she's yelling yeah, at her about, but never let your guard down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Robin Wright, and then Connie Nielsen plays her mom. Gotcha. So, uh, but anyways, yeah, I thought this. This was definitely the trailer that got me the most excited for One Woman. Uh, I've like I've really liked all their trailers so far. There there has not been a bad one, uh, in my opinion. This is definitely the action trailer, which is why I think they saved it for last. You see the training sequence. You see the sequences in London, whether it's the the alleyway or it's like it's the trench fight, and then mm-hmm. we see glimpses of what should be the final fight, where like you said, she is just taking down countless soldiers and it looks awesome it looks like a mix of guy Ritchie with Zack snyder um their action um styles it looks it looks like that and it looks like it's going to work out really really well uh plus we know who the big bad is through like toys and people talking about it and we have not seen an official look at him which i am thrilled about because they didn't pull a doomsday so uh, that was always great because I thought they were going to do it. Uh, I definitely think they hint towards it a lot. And they, they, the funny thing is this trailer almost plays as a, as a diversion to that person uh, because they mention like Dr. Poison by name. Uh, and they kind of hype her up a little bit, but she's definitely not going to be the big bad of the movie. Right. So I, I like their marketing strategy a lot here because yeah. I feel like we know some of the movie, but definitely not all of it. I think I could kind of, pick out and piece out this plot at this point but 
they have not shown me everything from the trailers, which I appreciate. Absolutely, yeah. And it's going to make for a great experience getting to the theater, for sure. Yeah. Uh, And we also got tracking this week for Wonder Woman. Uh, Tracking is very difficult. Uh, It's never never very clear. It's never accurate on what is going to... It's never... You know, if it if tracking says it's going to make X amount of dollars, it almost never makes exactly X. Uh, if you look, I mean, you can look at something like Furious Seven or Jurassic World. Nobody was predicting those movies were going to make like two hundred million dollars opening weekend or whatever they both of them made. So, uh, as of right now, um, well, I guess a couple weeks ago, almost maybe a couple months ago at this point, the early tracking for Wonder Woman pegged it at eighty million or eighty three, I think, to be exact. Uh, which then this week the rap reported that it is tracking for 105 to 115 million dollars, but then the Hollywood Reporter and Deadline said it was actually tracking for 65. Uh, which then today Deadline came out with the story that ticket sales are now officially open worldwide, 92 percent interest, and they are now expecting 75 million dollars, and it's expected to climb again. So. What do you what do you think would be a fair or acceptable opening weekend for Wonder Woman? For Wonder Woman and yes. WB as a whole, or just Wonder Woman? Uh, I don't really understand the difference. <laughs> That's a good point. Well, definitely, I think if they hit eighty million, you know, right in that range, that would be that would be not only good, that would be fantastic because that I mean that's right there in the range of. Uh, I want to say, not to compare World War movies, but I think that's somewhere between Captain America and um, Thor. Both Thor and Cap one they did, did sixty five oh, opening, okay. so that's why the sixty five million. It's kind of it's kind of it feels like the safe bet. Sure, um, but personally, I think that's that'd be a disappointment. Um, okay, because just to I don't know throw things out there. Thor and Cap both made $65 million in 2011. We are six years from that. The superhero genre is much more popular than it was when Thor and Cap came out. Plus, I think it's a pretty safe statement to say that Wonder Woman is a more popular character than Thor and Cap were before they made their debuts, especially since she's already debuted in Batman v Superman and was one of the highlights of a movie that was super divisive. She was the one that kind of almost steadied the ship a little bit and people are saying i'm i want to see that one movie so then if she came in with a 65 dollars opening uh that would be i i think that i mean it'd be it'd be a good opening because the movie has a reported budget of 100 million so you're already pretty close to you know after that plus the international plus the second weekend yeah you're you're gonna make your money back regardless but I think you. I think this movie should easily be able to crack a hundred. Like I think, just based on the trailers, the marketing has been solid. You have the first female-led superhero movie. There's a lot of and directed. Yeah, there's a lot of want and passion behind this, and because of all that, and like the kind of the 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 fuss is not the right word, but all of all of the the attention this movie has got because of that. I think it has to do really well so that way studios aren't like afraid almost to keep making movies like this um, mm. because that's just kind of that's that's an unfair stigma but it's one that is 
that that's going to be applied from a studio perspective where if it doesn't make like look at like ghost of the shell ghost of the shell did terrible not because it was led by scarlett johansson but now because of that like the fate of akira or other anime style movies are kind of being tempered a little bit because it's like oh that one didn't work so do we want to make more so i think it's i think 80 would be would be solid it would it would still be the lowest in the dceu which is why i think it should be able to crack 100 115 um that's where i that's where i want it to be that's where i really hope it hits i hope it even goes higher um but if it comes in at 80 or lower i think that's a disappointment and i don't really know how you spin it otherwise yeah i guess i yeah you know the the big thing for me is I know money isn't the important thing to people going to the movie. Right. It matters to the studio. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything we've learned about WB over the years, that that seems to be their... They love money. Yeah, that's their way to judge way to judge movies. But if... Yeah, I, I'm still at the... I haven't seen the movie yet, so yeah. I'm still not at the threshold to be able to say, even if I go to the movie, love it, and then see that I was like one of the only people that, you know, that we can... Uh, you know turn out for mm. it uh i don't know if i'd be ready to say that's a disappointment yet but if i just firmly believe if patty jenkins uh and company made a good movie it'll also make good money and yeah 80 million that that seems i think that's a, like you know a fair guess i think that's a fair guesstimation you know without i've been way off on getting you know yeah. making assumptions about movie money to be yeah so. to be fair we both you guessed 190 200 for guardians i guessed 170 mm-hmm. uh i think i said 174 to be exact yeah and it actually came in at 146 mm-hmm. so neither of us are anywhere close to box office geniuses but like i said i think this movie needs to do really well critically and financially to not only show that movies like this can succeed but also just so everybody can feel a little bit better heading into Justice League. Yeah, I think if it's a critical success or just well reviewed mm-hmm. and makes its money, that's that I think that's a bigger win for the studio than a, a 1.1 billion dollar Batman versus Superman because it, you, it didn't even make one it, it made less than 900. Yeah, 9 it made 8 did it? It made 880, 890 okay, or something. Yeah, you know, that that's that's, and, yeah, that's where then, I'm at with this. And then Suicide thing. Squad made seven seventy or something, and Man of Steel made I think just under seven hundred. Okay, yeah. Um so I think it needs I think if it gets a hundred billion opening, that puts it on track to make, you know, roughly two fifty domestically, probably, plus you add in another five hundred million dollars overseas or something. And you've got a bona fide hit on the level of like almost Deadpool, so uh, that's where I want this movie to be. Same here. But I'm, I just I'm just being realistic. You know, there's people that try and put the spin of 65 million. That's great. It's a franchise opener. Teenage Mutant, for example, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in 2014 opened to 65. That's probably a good opening for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but it's also Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is a beloved. You know, yeah. animated series and stuff. So yeah, if I'm guessing, if you know, if I'm being like a pundit or whatever, you yeah. know, I'm putting myself at eighty. I want. Do I want it to be two hundred? Yes, absolutely. Because I think I want to love. I think I'm going to love this movie, and you know, so on and so forth. Yeah. So uh, moving on to another comic book franchise, uh, it's getting a reboot. Is Hellboy with creator Mike Mignola announcing. 
that Hellboy is getting a reboot directed by Neil Marshall and starring Tra- Stranger Things uh, David Harbour. It will uh, it is hopeful to shoot this September and is targeting R rating. Uh, so with all that in mind, have Ooh. you seen the first two films by Guillermo del Toro starring Ron Perlman? Uh, do you like them? And are you interested in this reboot? Never seen a Hellboy movie ever. But you said the name David Arbor, right? Yes. Yes. And I was I was kind of secretly campaigning for that guy in my head to, you know, be in the next Deadpool movie. Yeah. But David Arbor as Hellboy sounds perfect. I mean, I, I, lo- I love that dude. I'm not familiar with the character of Hellboy, but I think he can make it work. Now, that said, who is Hellboy <laughs> and what universe is he in and where do we go from here? He is in his own universe. Um, he is a child of a demon, oh. which is why he has a red. He's all red. He's like this giant. I think David Harbour looks the part. Uh, Neil Marshall, I'm not very familiar with as a director. I don't know if I've seen any of his work. Uh, he's done two episodes of Game of Thrones. Even though I've started watching Game of Thrones, I don't think I've gotten to his point in his entry yet. Uh, then he also did this uh horror movie that gets a lot of praise but i'm not a horror guy so i've not seen it which one's that the descent yes yeah so uh i i probably i don't know if i'll maybe i'll check it out before this movie but yeah i've seen the first hellboy movie uh didn't love it have not watched the second one because i didn't love the first one so it didn't really make me that interested in seeing the second one but i'll probably watch it eventually Mm -hmm. just to see how concludes i guess but sure uh yeah i mean i'm not i don't know i don't really care uh about hellboy uh i'll i'm excited for david harbour to have this opportunity to get this leading role since he missed out on cable and stuff and i like him in stranger things but this movie's gonna have to kind of wait it's gonna be a wait and see for me because it's r-rated so it just feels like they're just jumping on that logan and deadpool bandwagon a little bit plus they want to start shooting in september that's super quick uh, I mean, they already have a they already have a script in place. They already have a director and star now, so it looks like they're they've been moving along very quickly uh, behind the scenes. So it's possible, but yeah, I mean, whatever. Maybe we'll see it. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love the deadpan. Whatever. Yeah. Next. Yes. Next up, we got a new lead for Avatar two, three, four, and five Ooh. coming from the Howard Reporter. They've revealed. All right, from Deadline, actually, that Fear the Walking Dead star Cliff Curtis has landed uh, one of the new leads for the next four Avatar movies. He'll be playing a character named Tonawari, the leader of the Reef people uh, that are also Uh Navi, and their race or their suction or whatever are called the Mekaina. So uh, are you happy? Are you glad to see Cliff Curtis join this franchise? And are you ready to see underwater Navi? Well, yeah, we've been talking about how our Avatar, there's there's no hype for Avatar 2 yet. Especially because I'm more excited than for Avatar two than Hellboy, I think. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> not that uh, that's not a good thing to no, say. No, it's I guess. not. But you know, you're talking marginally. Or, yeah, 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 it's yeah, pretty okay. close. But I've not seen any of Fear of the Walking Dead. Not a single episode. Um, have you? Yeah, I watched the first season and a half, and okay. then I, I fell out. What do you think of Cliff? He's great. Uh, What's really, he like? He, he's really good in that show. He, he he's also in a Training Day. Uh, in a small-ish role. It's been a while since I've watched it, so I don't remember how big of a role he has. Is but he one of the villains? 
he tries to kill Ethan Hawke at one point. That's all I remember. Okay. Um, well, I'm familiar with the scene. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, he, he just kind of blends into whatever role he is. I don't, it doesn't really matter from that perspective, I guess, cause he's, it's going to be all mocap. It's going to mm-hmm. be all CG. So, but I think he brings he brings a level of acting ability to this that I think is good. Uh, and to see that he has a prominent role as the leader of the next subsection of Navi. Sure. Is he charismatic? I mean, is he going to be somewhat serious? Or do you think he's just like a really good uh, role actor? Uh, I think he's more serious. I, mean, I don't think he's really comedic. I haven't really seen any comedic stuff from him. Okay. So, I, I mean, since he is the leader of this tribe, uh, I think that's going to fit more, that he's going to be kind of the commander uh, that's probably going to be somewhat opposed to whatever movements this Navi other section led by... Uh, sure. Jake Sully, <laughs> I think is his name. Yeah, uh, same with same word yeah. defense character is. So, who knows? Yeah, but definitely cool to hear about the other areas and yes. local tribes that even though this planet may look utopian, yeah. uh, there's definitely some infighting it's, going yeah, it's, on there. Yeah, it's a little segregated. And uh, cool. yeah, I mean, I'm definitely interested to see the different... If there's one thing I'm interested about the, these next four Avatar movies, it's seeing how all these different like factions play together. Uh, is it Game of Thrones-esque, Lord of the Rings style sort of thing? Or is it just kind of... I hope they don't all get along because that would be kind of boring. Yeah, or is it just some kind of like grand Mother Nature uh, environment thing you know, that's yeah, going yeah. on there? So uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, and we no longer have to wait to find out whether or not Anya Taylor-Joy and Maze Williams will be into mutants as long as they have been rumored since like last year. The Hot Reporter finally confirmed it this week uh, that they have both joined Numians as Magic and Wolfsbane, respectively. Uh, they then the the writer of the article, Boris Kit, then followed up on Twitter saying that Nat Wolf, who was previously uh, reported to be in contention for the role of Cannonball, is not going to land that role. Uh, then also revealed the surprising news that James McAvoy is not going to be appearing as Professor X. Woo. So. Uh, we've talked a lot about the possibilities of Von Taylor Joy and Maze Williams being in this franchise. Now that they're on board, uh, are you happy about it? Oh yeah, I mean, I think I've expressed my uh, my des- my joy, or you know, like how happy I would be to see them mm-hmm. in the roles, especially Maisie Williams as Wolfsbane, um, and like getting into the X Men universe and all that is fantastic. And now we finally have confirmation, but. I'm not undecided about how I feel about Professor X not being in there. Yeah, it's weird. I, I actually, I think I like it because then we get a better focus on the new mutants, right? Yes, but also if they're new mutants, are they not in Professor X's school for gifted youngsters? Are they, me, are they yeah. runaways? Are they graduates of the program? Uh, how do they, how do they, I just don't know how they fit in. And if they are legitimately new to be mutants how are they kind of going through this you know is cannonball just going to like lead them all through this metamorphosis or is there, are they going to bring in some other mainstay from the x-men franchise whether it's like nicholas holse uh as beasts or bring back jennifer lawrence somehow as mystique uh and have them be like the mentors like i just i just don't know where this fits in or maybe they could just kind of maybe McAvoy's not appearing because it doesn't take place in that timeline. It takes place in the present day with Deadpool and stuff. 
That would be know. amazing. Just think about Maisley Williams. You're you're watching Game of Thrones yes. now, right? Yes, I am. So you're so familiar with how yes. she acts and She's who great. she is. She's very great. So imagine her as Wolfsbane and then Deadpool. <laughs> right, yeah. It'd be, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be perfect. Be awesome. Plus, uh, if I remember correctly, Magic and is the brother, I believe, of Colossus. And Colossus is in the Deadpool timeline. So if they want to have some family relations. Fantastic. Uh, I think it's a legitimate possibility that now that McAvoy is not going to be appearing, that maybe they switch things up to because they're a little confident in Josh Boone's vision, they're going to push it into the present day-esque uh, setting that Deadpool is and continue to build out the universe now and then let all this other stuff with you know Jean Grey and everybody else catch up. Yeah, So awesome. Who knows? Um, but we also got a rumor about Deadpool 2 that was quickly debunked, so we'll just kind of touch on it briefly, but comicbook.com uh, reported that Deadpool 2 is going to have a post-credit scene that introduced three X-Force members, that being Sunspot, Feral, and Shatterstar, uh, but then Ryder Rhett Reese took to Twitter to de- quickly debunk that that was not the case. Well, you told me how you thought about that, and yes. I have to agree. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. If they were introducing three more X-Force characters in the post-credits scene Deadpool, plus also introducing Domino and Cable in the actual movie and having both of them play large roles, then Deadpool 2 feels more a lot more like X-Force prequel mm-hmm. than sequel to Deadpool. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad this is not true because I want... Deadpool is so great that I want to see what's next for Deadpool, not right now yeah. how he sets up all the rest of the stuff Fox is planning. Right. Uh, plus there's like some people have pointed out that Sunspot and Cannibal have very similar power sets. Feral and Wolfsbane have very similar power sets and looks. So why would Fox, if you have this wide box of mutants at your disposal, why would you pick so many that are so similar to one another? So, uh, I'm glad this is, I'm glad this is not true. Yeah. Awesome. Same here. So, uh, moving on to the flyby, we got confirmation this week from James Gunn. Uh, a little bit of spoiler for Guardians 2 if you haven't seen it yet. But uh, he told IGN that Elizabeth Debicki will definitely be returning as Aisha in Guardians 3. But ma'am, and we expected this. Mm-hmm. I think it, it's hard to watch that post credit scene in Guardians yeah. 2 and say, oh, she's not coming back. Yeah. No, she's ominously teasing Adam. And, yeah, it'd be... Uh, It'd be a little weird if she, I mean, she didn't, honestly. I mean, she, yeah. is, she is right there. So why would she not then come back and guide Adam in the comics? The race that creates Adam does so, and then he kind of, they tell him what his purpose is and stuff. He doesn't agree because he's like the perfect being, and then he kills all of them. <laughs> so I could see Adam Warlock maybe killing all the Sovereign, and then maybe not the start of the movie, but then maybe they send him off to go take down the Guardians because they're still after revenge for them. And then after that point in time, he realizes the guardians are kind of cool. I want to be on their side. Let's go kill the sovereign. And now they're all have big, happy family. Yeah. Uh, they've got so many great things up their sleeve. Uh, but do you really think Adam Warlock, like, does he, does he turn good? Is that a thing? Oh, yeah. 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 He's, I mean, he's, he's typically a hero, but I think, I think he'll be like somebody asked James Gunn this past week, like, is Adam Warlock the antagonist? And he's like, uh, not going to say that. Uh, so I think I think he starts 
as the baddie turns to be Mm -hmm. a hero. And we don't get volume three until after both Infinity War films? Yes. Uh, And James kind of hinted that it's going to be May 2020 for the release date. So basically three years from right now, we should have seen Adam Warlock's debut. All right. Awesome. Pretty cool. Um, We also got an update on a movie we haven't talked about in a very long time. Uh, Chaos Walking. It's a young adult novel that's being turned into a film uh, starring two of our favorites, Daisy Ridley and Tom Holland. Uh, Side note, did you see the Tom Holland uh, lip sync battle video this week? No, I did not. Oh, man. If you guys have not seen it, uh, I will share it on the- City of Z. Charlie Hunnam. Oh yeah, lost, yeah, lost, lost city of Z. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah, yeah. what I couldn't think of earlier. Did you see that? Yeah, it popped up. Uh, it was pretty good. Oh really? I haven't seen it. Yeah, what, oh. it's 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 very period type. Cool. Uh, and yeah, him and Holland. I mean, I've have, heard good things. Him think. and Holland have good chemistry. Cool. Um, but yeah, he did a lip sync battle with uh, Zendaya to promote Spider-Man: Homecoming. Sure. And he did this awesome mashup of singing the rain and Rihanna's umbrella. Oh. You have to watch it. This kid is absolutely amazing. Uh, he destroys any dance. Like if you have to compare Spider-Man 3's dance numbers to what Tom Holland does here, it's like comparing The Godfather uh, Part 2 or Citizen Kane to uh, uh, Huntsman or mm. yeah. <laughs> Resurgence. I mean, it just kills it. Uh yeah. It's so, it's so good. I'll share it on the Twitter. You guys can uh, you guys can check it out. But anyways, uh, he is starring with Daisy Ridley in Chaos Walking. Uh, it's directed by Doug Lyman and the writer of the young adult trilogy, Patrick Ness, revealed on Twitter this week that the movie's going to start shooting this summer, uh, and that he is co-writing the screenplay. So we're getting that movie look, moving forward. I'm, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Yeah, it's like a, it takes place in sort of a dystopian mm-hmm. world where people stop talking and they can hear each other's thoughts and since you hear people's thoughts you go crazy yeah unless you can find like a place where there is no noise mm-hmm. i think that's what they call yeah, it yeah. so it sounds like incredibly it's an incredibly cool concept that yeah. i can't wait to see play out on the screen and like females are like basically like non-existent yeah they uh, stop being which born. is when daisy ridley pops up that's when everything kind of gets like it was like wait what yeah yeah uh, so there, there's there's a there's an implied tension there that would be even crazier to see happen. yeah so, so yeah Doug, Doug Lyman has the next project I'm interested to see how this affects uh, Star Wars nine filming because I'm assuming <laughs> that Daisy Ridley is going to be back for episode nine unless sure. they they kill off Ray in the <laughs> eighth you. movie which I would absolutely I would absolutely advise against uh, that move if you're if you're Disney but. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I'm excited for this movie. Uh, waiting to see more. And we also got an update on another Lyman project, that being Edge of Tomorrow 2. Uh, but that's not the title. As he told Clatter, it's actually going to be called Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. Uh, I'm trying to do like an eye roll equivalent over my voice here. What? So wait, is that the actual name of this movie? That is, I've seen him in multiple interviews say, this is our title. So maybe the studio will change this eventually. Cause I mean, they did change edge of tomorrow's title like six times. Um, but yeah. this is like up there with the worst titles ever. Live. Yeah. Cause I could just see it happening, you know, playing out on a trailer, live, die, repeat. And then like a one or two second pause and then and repeat. And repeat. Yeah. Does it have momentum? I mean, 
Edge of Tomorrow is okay. Oh, really? I think it's a great movie. But, but you're not a Tom Cruise guy, so I'm not a Tom Cruise guy. But you I mean you, if of course, um, you get me back. Emily Blunt. Emily Blunt. Thank Emily you. Emily Blunt. Just, you know, I, I blanked there for a second. Yeah, if you get me back, Emily Blunt. Yeah, she's I'm, coming back. Okay, then you know, maybe Which I'm interested. I'm, I have no idea. I I'm interested in this movie because I loved the first one, but how do you do a second one? Because their characters like don't even. Only he knows about yes. their interaction beforehand. So how does she get back involved? But you read this piece though, right? And if you leave, go a little bit farther into it, Lyman starts talking about how this is a prequel sequel, and oh, yeah, that yeah. it's going to shatter the mold of what how we think of sequels. Yeah, I today. think I think we, we I think we talked did we talk about that before that he, he meant he described it as a prequel sequel because he mentioned that a couple he mentioned that a long time ago. Uh, I remember seeing that I was like, this is. This doesn't make any sense. How can yeah. it be a prequel and a sequel? Doug Lyman uh, is Doug Lyman is he's always smoking something, I think. So <laughs> you know, his interviews are always so uh wide ranging, but they're they're fun to they're fun to read transcripts of. Yeah. Uh, if the guy is a great director. Yes, so, yes he is. Um if he says he's got something earth shattering, uh, I'm I'm inclined yes. to believe him. Yeah, I, I believe I have I have faith in Doug Lyman, I have faith in Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Uh, and I love the first one, so there's no real reason for me to really doubt the movie outside of I don't know how it's happening based on the premise, and it has a terrible title. Yes. So uh, last bit of news that we're going to cover today, uh, we got an update on Scorsese's next movie uh, titled The Irishman, and uh, it's a big one. It's going to be shooting this August and will drop on Netflix. That's right. A Scorsese movie is debuting on Netflix exclusively probably with a limited theatrical run to qualify for Oscars probably in 2019. So a couple years away, smokes. but I mean, that's a, it's going to be, it's going to get started this August. The reason it has such a big lead time is because the movie stars, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, Bobby Cannavale and Harvey Keitel. They got Pesci. They got Pesci. Yes. Uh, and Ooh. I think, I think most, I, I think Pacino and De Niro, their characters, there's going to be like heavy flashbacks where they use the de-aging technology that's been so mm-hmm. prominent in recent blockbusters extensively and de-age them down and have huge sequences with them as their, their younger selves. The movie's got a budget of $100 million. Yeah. I mean, Netflix is shelling out for this movie, mm-hmm. which... They're the only ones that would. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, if Scorsese's got a vision, you give that, yeah. you, you let, let that guy make his vision. Uh, I mean, it's like, it's the Goodfellas team reuniting once again. Uh, I don't know how you say no to that if you're a studio. Yeah. So I, I'm excited to see this one, uh, whenever it comes around. And, you know, just to put the icing on the cake for you, uh, do you know who is one of the writers is? Hmm. Steve Zalian, who worked with Sorkin on the Moneyball. Oh, yeah. So. Yes, uh, it's Perfect. got all it's got all these great uh, elements to it that I am. Yeah, this this was pro- this is probably my favorite news of the week. Really, you know, not in terms of trailers yeah, 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 or yeah. you know stories, just but actual just actual news. Yeah, I, I think that the Joe Pesci part is probably uh, what I'm stoked about because mm-hmm. there was there was you there know was rumors, rumors that he, was that he wasn't going to show up for it, yep. and I haven't seen that guy in so it's long. It's been a while, uh, and this is yeah. I'm all about it. Yeah, it's it's going to I mean that's 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 a huge 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 get for Netflix. Like I know they're getting like bright this year. They have the Brad Pitt movie debuting in like a week or two. 
um, some other stuff lined up as well. But I mean, if you can say we've got Martin Scorsese, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, uh, Joe Pesci, and Harvey Keitel, I mean, that's about as star studded as you can get this for is, a project. Yeah, this is their biggest pickup, original pickup since uh, Beasts of No Nation. Or, yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, this one, I'm sure, will probably get that theatrical run to qualify for Oscars that Beasts of No Nation did not get. Uh, but I mean, if there's a, if there's one good thing to come out of that, it's that Netflix realized we have to do this and made mm-hmm. the change for future movies. So, uh, that's all the news this week before we sign off, Josh, what are we uh, going to be reviewing next week? And I actually know today Okay, and we are returning to the future past wherever Ridley Scott's got us, mm, right? No. We're not doing anything. Yeah, we are. I okay. Whoa. <laughs> I, I have pulled it up you. right here to make sure we had it. I just want to mess with you since last week. I have I've gotten it wrong, I think, like four weeks four weeks straight. No. It's not, except for Guardians. That's yeah. about it. Uh, and I, I'm stoked for this just because it looks like a return to uh, the, the, the original vision that he put down in Alien. Mm-hmm. Not a... Not a sci-fi adventure movie, but a true horror flick with, um, you know, an outstanding cast from uh, Catherine Watterson. I mean, they've even got, jeez, uh, I blew it there. <laughs> I don't but know who else got, there's a, there's a lot of people. They've got Danny McBride, James yes. Franco, uh, not to mention Michael Fassbender's mm-hmm. coming back as well. So uh, I am super excited, you know, to be scared of space again and uh yeah what about you what's what's this got for you uh this is a a pretty anticipated movie uh i can't remember where i placed it in our summer preview i think it was six or it maybe got in my top five but uh i mean yeah this is one i'm really looking forward to i was a fan of prometheus even though i know a lot of people weren't and (laughs) i thought it was funny this week that uh really scott issued an apology (laughs) he like apologized for prometheus i was like what like that's so weird like why are you apologizing for it like i know it was kind of divisive but i also know a lot of people like i liked that movie uh and i think it it does a i'm interested to rewatch it again before this movie uh i rewatched alien a couple nights ago and i mean that movie just like that's i've well, i've seen it before but like just watching it again um just really blew me away this sec this other time yeah uh, i think i'm watching aliens again tonight uh, i don't know if i'll do three and four before but uh since those may be retconned eventually it doesn't really matter i guess but uh yeah i mean this one is one i am definitely looking forward to has a great cast the trailers look super scary um but all like it just like not in like a jumpy like horror type but just like intensity yeah uh and just violence so as long as it can give me a good story, further build out this world, I'm sure it'll have some pretty interesting connections to the his original movie and James Cameron's. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on board for this one for sure. Yeah. Ready for it? Absolutely. Oh, and he also called it a stepping stone to terror too. Uh, that's, what he, that's what we call Prometheus. Yeah, interesting. He, he he apologized, but he said it was necessary. It was, so it was, it was almost like a not apology. <laughs> huh, yeah, I didn't read it. I just saw like the headlines of that. Like really, Scott apologizes for Prometheus. I was like, what? Yeah. That is so weird. Um, but yeah, so that's what we'll be reviewing next week. So go check out Alien Covenant. Um, that's it for this episode. So during time, we'll be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything covered by us at Friends and Film. 
We receive updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can get at me, Josh, at Just Joshua Ryan. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, retweet, and more. Plus, head over to iTunes, give us a five-star review with comments, even though none of you guys did that this week. So it'll be Josh taking home the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 poster. Uh, if uh, if we get one in the meantime, before when we record this, when we publish, then I will. Uh, you guys won't be here in this section, but if you guys do, then you know that you and nobody else listening gave us a review to win a, a very cool Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 poster. So uh, missed out a, on a chance there, but that's it. Josh? Thanks for stopping by, everyone. And thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film Podcast. Be sure to next week for a review of Alien Covenants.